Last week, we had the pleasure of looking at Romans 7 together. And in looking at Romans 7, we were thinking about the gift of God's Son. So as we reflect on the gift of God's Son, and we're thinking about the gospel message, and I think anytime we reflect on the gospel message, it's good to do some, some self-reflection, to ask ourselves some questions like, am I living for Jesus? If I claim to have put faith in Jesus, am I living for Jesus? Is my daily life living out a sincere commitment to him? How does my faith in Jesus impact or speak into my temptations, my frustrations, my sadness, or my fear? Faith in Jesus is not just a thing we claim to gain eternal to security. It's a core conviction that speaks into almost every decision in our life and almost every feeling that we feel. We need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves because it matters. It is the foundation upon which we stand. The gospel assures us that we worship a God who demonstrates and promises power over evil and healing presence for all eternity. And here's the point of real difficulty for some of us. I'm glad for what Jesus did, and I put my hope in the victory that he'll bring one day, but, or, and I'm struggling in the meantime. I know God brought me from spiritual death to spiritual life, and I know he'll one day have ultimate victory. But you might say, I'm in pain today. I'm sad today. My family's a mess. My finances are a disaster. My, love is, my loved one is ill. My body is falling apart. My job is miserable. I'm lonely. I'm confused. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I'm scared. There's all these things that can come up for us. And we say, God, I need you right now. We, we were singing, this, this was hitting me deeply as we sang just earlier this morning. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. In God's all-knowing plan, he made provision for us today amidst the exact circumstances that each of us are in. To be honest, I don't always trust or or understand or or I often question, I'll say, God's all-knowing plan. But as I read scripture, I'm reminded of the truth that J.I. Packer articulates well when he says God's omniscience is governed by his, I'm sorry, God's omnipotence is governed by his omniscience. So that is to say that the God, our God with perfect and complete and all power, that power is governed and led by his complete and perfect knowledge. That's a God worth trusting. So back to the point we were making. Jesus has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He has promised us victory over sin and death one day. 
But how is God providing for us right now? And his answer is what we've been singing about. He sends the Spirit to dwell inside each of us. For everyone who places faith in Jesus, the triune God, Father, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, living in perfect community, perfect love, God decides to send the Spirit to dwell inside of each of us. That's better than any science fiction plot that you've ever read or can come up with. I find this illustration to be helpful uh, in thinking about the gift of the Spirit. Imagine that you were given $3 million as a deposit guaranteeing your eventual inheritance of $300 million. So that deposit of $3 million, it's not going to solve all your problems, but it's going to provide a significant Uh, provides significantly for you. So think with me, or as we talk about the Spirit this morning, I encourage you to keep this illustration in the back of your mind. I wonder how much that $3 million deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of $300 million, I wonder how much that's like the Holy Spirit. So it's with that in mind that I I want to open up to Romans 8, verses 5 through 16, and we'll look at that together. First, we'll read just verses 5 through 8. Listen to what Paul writes. He writes, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So Paul is contrasting the desires between our flesh and the desires of our spirit. This is the battle within between spirit and flesh that we were talking about last week. So what are the desires of the flesh? We can read Paul writes in Galatians 5, 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, and it goes on. And the core root of all of those things is selfish ambition, selfish pleasure, preservation. It's all lifting up self. It's self-glory at the core. So what are the desires of the Spirit? In that same passage in Galatians 5, Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. The common root in these things is God-glory. Each of these things comes from him. Love comes from understanding the love of God. Joy comes from being grateful for the gift that God has given. Peace comes from understanding the sovereignty of God. All of these things, these fruits of the Spirit, they are at the core. It's about God glory. So Paul asks, where is your mind set? 
Is your mind set on spirit glory or on self-glory? We know that perfection here is not attainable. So this is not about guilt. It's first about noticing where your mind, where your heart is set. A few years ago, I read this fantastic book called The Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd. And one of the things that I learned is that my feelings tell me something. The feeling of anger tells me what is important to me. It reveals where my heart is set. Do you know what makes me angry most often? When I get my life inconvenienced, when someone messes with my comfort and my schedule. What does that tell you about where my heart is set? It's set on my schedule, my convenience, my comfort. I, I think about um, recently this weekend, I, it was a gorgeous day. I had some free time. I was playing basketball uh, and riding bikes with my boys. And uh, it was just a beautiful day. Everything was going well. There was margin. Cooper, our dog, was running around in the yard. And, and he runs past me, and there's this awful stench awful, and I look down, and Cooper has been rolling in deer droppings. Something he does, oddly enough, and what happens in me is I am immediately angry. I am deeply angry because I know what this means is I now need to give Cooper a bath, and I need to put everything aside in my schedule, and I need to bathe him in the mess that he's in. I wasn't angry because some injustice had been done in the world. I wasn't angry because someone had sinned against God. I was angry because my schedule, my convenience had been messed up. So you may say, you know, that's no big deal. Give yourself a break. But notice with me how often your mind is set on self-glory, self-comfort, rather than on spirit glory. You can ask that that question about any of your emotions, about anger or fear or sadness or gladness. At the root of that emotion is your mind set on self-glory or spirit glory. I don't know about you, but most of what makes me sad, mad, or glad, most often on a daily basis, is about self-glory over spirit glory. Again, I don't believe that Paul is trying to hammer us with guilt here. I believe he's gently drawing our attention to the fact that that our mindset default is self-glory. And we have this incredible $3 million deposit, which is the Holy Spirit waiting right inside of us, ready to be utilized. Paul's not saying, you idiot. He's saying, turn Turn your mind and your heart and look at what you have. Paul continues to write in verses 9 through 11. He says, You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, 
And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who gives life. Paul is writing about the presence of the spirit. I want to address some questions about the spirit as we think through this. So first of all, who is the spirit? Who is the spirit for? The Spirit is for believers. We see in Ephesians 14 that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance until those who are God's possession. So the Spirit is for believers. What does the Spirit do? Verse 10 in chapter 8 of Romans tells us the Spirit gives life. Not just life as opposed to death as we often think about it, but spiritual life, the ability to know what's right and what's wrong, the power to live the way we were created to live. That's life, the life the Spirit gives. How does the Spirit give life? John 14, 26 records Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of the things I have said to you. So what's the context of the disciples hearing that the Spirit One would teach them all things? The context was that they had grown up immersed in an understanding of the Old Testament law. They had walked day by day with the teachings of Jesus. And it's in that context, immersed in the Old Testament law, hearing the teachings of Jesus, that the way that the Spirit teaches them all things is the Spirit illuminates all those things that they've been living in. All of that teaching, the Spirit illuminates all of that for them. In that way, the Spirit teaches them all these things. So for us today, it does not mean that we sit here and we enjoy a magical download of the Spirit teaching us all things. It is as we immerse ourselves in God's Word, learning from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Spirit illuminates that living Word. That's how He teaches us all things. And He reminds us of the things that that Jesus has said to us. That is to say, we're not walking around day by day constantly looking at Scripture while we walk and play and work, but we have to put it down sometimes. And in the opportune moments, the Spirit brings God's Word back into our minds. Recently, I was studying Philippians 3 and 4 and reminded that the secret to being content in all circumstances is knowing Christ. And it just so happened in this moment that the Spirit uh, brought this to my mind. I was, um, I was struggling with grumbling about my circumstances, how this was difficult, how this wasn't going the way I wanted. And, and I'm grumbling, and the Spirit brings to mind, Brentley, you know Christ. You know the Son of God who knows everything about you and loves you with a love that you can't possibly imagine. Brentley, you know Christ. And all of a sudden, there's a joy that fills um, up from inside me, and nothing had changed about my circumstances, but the Spirit was bringing me joy because He was reminding me of the things that Jesus has taught. 
as we continue to think about these questions about the Spirit, the next question is this. How do you recognize the Spirit's voice? There's two questions I often ask myself when I'm discerning. Is this thought from the Spirit? Is this the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to me? And the first one is this. Is this biblically consistent? And the second one is this. Is it connected to God glory or spirit glory? So many times you have a thought in your head and as you peel that back layer after layer, what's at the core of that? Is it self-glory or spirit glory? Those are two questions that have helped me recognize the Spirit's voice. So the last question to think about is, well, how do you listen to the Spirit's voice? I think reading the Bible for transformation and not just information is so important. I read not like I'm studying for a test to put some information in my head, but I read like I'm listening to a loved one trying to learn and know their heart. Silence and solitude is another important thing in listening to the Spirit's voice. Take some time, whether it's in your car or out in nature or in a comfy seat with some coffee, take some time in silence and solitude and listen. Maybe focus in on one question, God, what do you want to show me? And then just listen to the Spirit. See where the Spirit leads your mind. Notice the Spirit speaking in others is another way that is helpful to listen to the Spirit's voice. And then lastly, to to act on what you hear. That's a way that we can actually listen. We're just not listening and continuing to think about what the Spirit might be saying, but at some point acting on what the Spirit is saying. The last part of this passage, Paul writes in verses 12 through 16. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you feel so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit applied your redemption. He has brought you. He has brought about adoption to sonship. You have been chosen and brought into the family of the triune God. By the Spirit, because of the Spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father. And that is to say that we are welcomed into an intimate relationship with the triune God. The Spirit testifies that we are God's children. How would a perfect father hold and care for his infant child? That is how God, our Father, is caring for us. We are his children. The Spirit is proof of that. Praise God for the empowering gift of his Spirit. I want to invite you, as the the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song of praise The song will start just with some instrumental uh, time. And and as the instrument is playing, I want you to just um, have 
a conversation with the Lord and take a moment to invite the Spirit to speak. Listen to the Spirit. Ask just maybe one question. God, what do you want me to hear? And listen to what the Spirit says to you. And when you're ready, we'll join in and close in song together.